We are doing a Lenten homily series. Over the past three weeks, we have been learning from the Bible about two essential pillars of the Christian faith. The first, encounter Christ. The second, share the encounter of Christ with others. Evangelize them. From encounter to evangelization. Absolutely necessary for every Christian and every Christian community, like our parish here at St. Francis de Sales. If we are going to be true to following Jesus and the great commission he gives to each of us to make disciples and disciple makers. Today, we're going to continue to learn from the Bible how to evangelize other people. There are two basic ways that each of us can evangelize others. The first is the kerygma, and the second is your personal testimony. The kerygma. Maybe you've never heard that word before. What is it? Kerygma comes from the Greek word caruso. It means to proclaim as a herald. So if you're heralding an event that is about ready to happen, or if you're telling others about another who is coming, that's a kerygma. And we, the church has been doing this for over 2,000 years. The kerygma is the telling of the story of the salvation of our salvation as Christians in its most simple and important form. It is not yet, however, the telling of our morality, of our dogmatic teachings of the church, of the catechism, and all the particulars of our traditions, like Mary and the saints. It's not yet the telling of uh, the hot-button issues or our political and our social positions. That comes after the kerygma, after the person of our faith, Jesus Christ. So the kerygma is the core of our faith. It is the heart of our faith. Maybe a good way to rem even remember that word, kerygma, is with another word in English, kernel. Kerygma, kernel. A kernel, as we know, is a seed, like the kernel of a corn, which, if planted in the soil, will grow to be a plant that will bear much fruit to feed others, like the ear of a corn. The kerygma is the seed, the faith at its most fundamental form, which if proclaimed, planted, into another person, will grow and bear much fruit in his or her life and then for the life of other people, like growing another Christian or to help a Christian to begin to grow again. The kerygma of our faith can best be communicated in a five-point proclamation. And these five points have remained unchanged for 2,000 years. Here they are. The first, God loves me unconditionally and has created me for a relationship with him. 
I have broken that relationship with God. Jesus comes to restore my relationship with God through his life, death, and suffering. Number four, Jesus invites me to trust in him, turn from sin, and give my life to him. And then number five, finally, Jesus then is able to pour his Holy Spirit into my heart and to bring me to new life in his church. Again, this kerygma or charismatic proclamation and these five points have remained unaltered from the scriptures for 2,000 years. It is the most fundamental way in which we can teach others about who Jesus is. Now this may seem like a lot to remember these five points, but it really isn't. Let me just say it in even more simple form. The core of our faith is this. I'm made for a relationship with God. I broke that relationship with God. Jesus came to restore that relationship with God. I need to trust in him so that he can do that. And when he does, then I can receive the Holy Spirit and new life in his church through him. That's it. Where does the idea of the kerygma come from? Well, from none other than Jesus himself. And over and over again in the Bible, we see, we hear kerygma stories. In fact, in the early church from its beginnings and for centuries, the spread of the faith took place, as I said, through the kerygma and also through personal testimonies and witnesses. Today's gospel reading, in fact, from Luke chapter 15, is a kerygma story. It has all five elements of the kerygma. It's the parable of the prodigal son. So I want to take you through this all too familiar parable of the prodigal son, but now I want to take you through it with the, through the lens of these five points of the kerygma and have you hear and understand the story of the prodigal son in a way you may have never heard it before, ever. And yet it's always been there. So let's start. The first step of the kerygma is that we were made for a relationship with God. We are the prodigal son, the first son. Somewhere in our lives, we all forgot that we were created for a relationship with God, the Father, and that he loves us unconditionally. The prodigal son forgets the love his father has for him. How? By doing what we all do, just in different forms. He thinks only of himself, or primarily of himself. And this takes his eyes off the truth of who he is. That he is loved unconditionally, and that the Father will always provide what is best for him, and what is best for him is always found in a relationship with the Father. But the Son wants what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it, and the ways he wants it, and he wants it now. So, he asks for his inheritance from his father now. Can you imagine this? I mean, just think about this for a second. His father is not dead. 
his father is fully alive. One gets an inheritance from one's father or mother once they're dead. And so what he's doing is he's coming up to the father and he's saying, you are dead to me. So give me what I want now. I want my inheritance. As unthinkable as this is for us today, isn't this precisely what each of us do to God? Each of us have done this to God. I want heaven now. Heaven here on earth now. I want my inheritance now. And I can find it separate from you, Father, somewhere out there. And then we spend so many, so many of our days, our weeks, our months, our years, our hours out there trying to spend our inheritance rather than with the Father. Which leads to the second. We broke relationship with God. You see, we stand in a church every Sunday and we profess our belief in God, but we act as, we live as, if he's dead. That is not as important as so many other things in our lives that we want to experience. The prodigal son takes his inheritance and spends it on a fast and free life with loose women and tons of people he thinks are his friends. Going through his father's wealth, as he goes after all that he thinks will make him happy in this world. We do the same, each of us, in our own ways. We take the blessings and the graces that the Father gives us throughout our lives. We take the gifts and we take also the abilities that he's endowed upon us. All that we've received from the Father, including our lives itself, all we spend in pursuing what we think will make us happy in this world. We break relationship with God through our prayers, which is always, in some form or another, a rejection of God's unconditional love for us. A trusting that the best life is with Him. We think He can't offer us as much as we can gain on our own. In fact, even as many of us maintain a belief in God, and even as we gather in a mass regularly, we stay away from truly developing a relationship with the Father. Why? I think for many reasons. But one of them is fear. Fear of what the Father will expect of us. The demands that He will make upon us. And how much time it will take away from the other things I do. So, we stay busy with all kinds of other priorities and keep telling ourselves that we simply don't have enough time to grow our faith. Which leads to number three. Jesus can restore our relationship with God. How? By becoming one of us. It is through his life, suffering, death, and resurrection as a man 
and as God, that he restores our relationship with the Father. Separated from the Father and seeking his own happiness, the prodigal son finally realizes his true hunger. His hunger for what the Father can give him, which is so much more than what the world can offer him. In fact, the prodigal son is eating the garbage of his culture. I mean, think about it. In Jesus' day, if you remember, Jews were forbidden to eat swine, to eat pig. In fact, they weren't even allowed to be around them, let alone farm them or feed them. And so it's in the midst of this suffering and isolation that what? This young man, after going through the inheritance of his father, finds himself with pigs feeding them, but not even being allowed to eat the food, the garbage that was being fed to them by the master, and he was forced to be the one who feeds them. He has come to his senses. In the midst of suffering and isolation, he experiences something of the passion of Jesus Christ. He experiences emptiness, aloneness, a true hunger and thirst. He experiences something of a dying. And in that, returns to him a desire for the Father. And this is where Jesus can save each of us. He comes to us in our brokenness. Through his own brokenness on the cross and in his resurrection over our sins, he redeems us. He brings us back to the Father. That's how Jesus redeems us. He brings us back to the Father. And this is where we say with the prodigal son, in my father's household, I can have so much more than what the world is offering me. Which leads to number four. Trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus is two sides. Trusting in Jesus is turning to Jesus, but the moment that we turn from him, it means that we have to turn away from something else. So we turn away from sin as we turn to Jesus. And this is then the beginning of a life of willingness to put our life in the hands of the Father. We notice this in the return of the prodigal son. While the prodigal son is still far off from home, from the Father, what happens? We see that the Father has been waiting and watching for him. And the Father who sees him comes running to the Son, rather than the Son running to the Father. Why? Well, of course, obviously, the Father loves the Son and wants to restore him as a son. But also the Father knows human nature. He knows our human nature. Follow this. In Jewish society, in Jesus' day, if a son did what the prodigal son did, and then tried to come home again, the extended family and the hired hands on the property would also run out to meet the son. In fact, they would be the only ones who would run out to meet the son and not to welcome him. 
they would run out to meet him, to stone him. To keep him away from the Father. And if he was stupid enough to remain there, they would stone him to death. Because of what he did to the Father. They would not have seen the Son as worthy of forgiveness and return not only to the Father, but to the family, to the community. So the Father runs out to the prodigal Son, not only to embrace him, but to shield his Son with his own body. Covering his son, the father is saying to the others, he's under my protection. I accept him back into my household. Not as a second class servant or not as a sinner undeserving of my love. I accept him as my beloved son. This is what Jesus does for us. He shields us with his own body. Look. At the cross. He shields us with his own body on the cross. And not only from the stones that others would throw at us, but also for the stones that we throw at ourselves. Because we see ourselves unworthy of God's love. Thus we need to trust in Jesus and put ourselves into his hands who can bring us back to the Father. Which leads to the fifth and final stage of the kerygma. To receive the Holy Spirit and therefore receive a new life in God's church. The father asks for a great celebration. Fill the cat, kill the fatted calf. And for all to gather and to celebrate his son coming back to life. Truly the father gives his son the Holy Spirit. What is that? He gives him his spirit of love. A love that is so alive it is another. Another who can and will forever dwell in the Son so that the Son will never again forget that he's loved unconditionally by the Father. And never then a doubt again that the best place in this world for him is in relationship with the Father. The Father welcomes the prodigal Son not only back to himself, not only back to life, but back to a household, his household, into his family, into his community. In the household of God, the community is the family. Here's the problem. There's a second son in this story and in our story. Like the second son, we who have remained with the Father all of our lives, we who have gone to church all of our lives, did what was expected of us, lived good lives, served the Father, and worked in His church, we often do not want to join the Father in welcoming back His wayward sons and daughters. What do I mean by that? We want things to remain as they have always been. We don't want their coming home to change our home and the way that we operate. We certainly don't want to be expected to participate in welcoming them back. And for God's sakes, 
they may even want to take our pews. Furthermore, we might even resent what the Father is doing. What a fuss the rest of the family and community is making over the return of prodigal sons and daughters. But like the son, though, we need to hear the Father say to each of us, my child, you are here with me always. All that I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother, your sister was dead and has come back again to life. He, she, was lost and has been found. Rejoice. My brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus and of our one Heavenly Father, this is the Christian life as described by Christ himself. This is the way that each of us are to grow, to help grow the lives of other people and to help grow the family of God a parish family. This is the kerygma. And this is how we can communicate to others, evangelize them, as we share with them the core, the kernel of our faith, and invite them to experience with us what we are experiencing as a household of God, as a community of believers. To grow our relationship with the Father, to grow out of our sinfulness, to be restored in Jesus Christ, to increase our trust in Jesus, and to receive and share His Holy Spirit and new life in His church and with others. I mentioned at the beginning of the homily that the krigma is the telling of the story of our salvation is one of the basic ways to evangelize other people. There is another even simpler way. It is telling another person your personal story of salvation, your personal testimony, your glory story. But rather than spend another homily next week on how to give your personal testimony, at the end of the Mass, one of our parishioners, John Marin, will share his personal testimony. He'll first talk about men's ministry, but at the end... He will do the three things that we heard another parishioner of ours do in her personal testimony at the end of Mass last week, Jess Pickering. When she did three things, she simply did this. She told us about her life before encountering Christ in a newer way, in a deeper way, in a new approach, before getting more involved here in women's um, faith formation. She told us a little bit about her life there. And then she told us about her experience in walking with purpose. And then she told us about her life after that. Before, the event, and then after. This is how we share faith. And if you go back and read the scripture, most of the Bible is set up this way. From encounter to evangelization. The Holy Spirit is setting up all kinds of opportunities in our parish for us to encounter something more of God's love for us. 
and then to grow and develop a relationship with Christ, to help others who have experienced brokenness because they have broken relationship with God, to be restored in Jesus Christ, and then to learn how to trust in him again, and then to discover or rediscover for the first time the life of the Spirit and a new life in the community, a family of believers. What the Father is asking of each of us as his sons and daughters is to fully use and gain from all that is being offered here in this family. To see all this as good and necessary and beautiful and then to work with him and to work with this family to go out into the world beyond these walls and invite others to come to him, to come to the Father and to come to this family. Remember our mission as Christians is spiritual multiplication. A great way to remember it is me plus three. It starts with me investing in three other people. And then the four of us investing in three other people apiece. And then the 16 of us becoming 64. And then the 64 becoming 380. And then the 380 becoming 1,024. And in the course of just maybe a couple years or less, doubling this household of God, the family of God. And all of us growing in faith together and helping to grow the faith of others. This is our Christian faith. Let us live it and live it well. Can I hear an amen?